Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated, and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Malk, and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as a comedy writer and performer, formerly of The Roast at ABC2, at Guardian Oz, and at Irrational Fear, just trying to get through life without having an argument. Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words, in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's addition to the Humans of Twitter list, Mark Humphreys. Oh, hello, Steve. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure having you aboard, Mark. In social settings, how do you introduce yourself? Always at Humphreys, Mark. I think it's good to get those Twitter followers <laughs> up. Um, but uh, do you mean in terms of like how do I describe myself to people or what name I use? Um, yes. Uh, well, yeah, gosh, I've always been terrible at this, um, mainly because because for many years I was ashamed of what I did. So for a long time, when I worked like in a warehouse, um, I really didn't know what to say when I met. You know, what do you do? Well, I, you know, fill boxes and send them out, and then other ones come in and I unpack them. Um, and so then, when I finally moved into TV and doing the roast, it was a different problem because I was in TV, but I was working on a show that no one ever heard of. So uh, <laughs> it was like, oh, I'm a writer performer on a, this TV show. Oh, what is it? You know, they expect you to, to, to come back with, I don't know, uh, who wants to be a millionaire or something. I'm like, no, I'm not Eddie McGuire. Um, I was this thing called the roast and the, their eyes would sort of glaze over and the you know, conversation would end. So I've never really been good at that. And, uh, and now I guess, I guess I sort of say that I'm a freelance comedy writer is my kind of default thing. And if they probe me further, I, I tell them that I, I used to be on television. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, but I, I, I really hate, it's actually part of the reason why I don't uh, meet people. I don't socialize anymore because I don't have an opening line. <laughs> in, in the Australian media context, is there much call or opportunity for comedy writers? Uh, well, I think you, uh, end up doing a bunch of different things. So uh, I guess, so, I mean, if I think about things that I do, like it's mm. occasionally I do like advertising work um, or I'll do, um, you know, occasionally yeah, like appearances on things like News Breakfast or Radio National, but it's not so much comedy writing. Uh, yes, I get sent, I'm, I'm fortunate that I get sent little jobs for, things from time to time, like the feed wanted to do, you know, the Eurovision recap a while back. And so, you know, I was, I'd made it clear that I, I considered myself a Eurovision expert. And so that was something that I could do, but um, yeah, I guess there's enough if you can, uh, if you can work out a way to kind of put a bunch of things together. So like the guardian occasionally will ask me to write pieces. They usually get me to write things about like restaurants that are closing um, so like Sizzler or Pie Face. So I, I somehow I somehow I'm, I feel that niche. So um, yeah, it's your a, touch of death adjacent. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I'm so obsessed with sort of nostalgia that I've always got those you know references that I can draw on on other things that have gone away, like knickknacks which were baked not fried, or vice versas. Um, and uh, so anyway, yes, it's really just about um, yes, there are. It's not ideal. But you can piece together a life from scraps, <laughs> I guess is what I would say. <laughs> and then occasionally there are shows that comedy writers can get on. And so they might be things like yeah, uh, 
I mean, this is not speaking for myself, but like things like the weekly or the project, or you know, you obviously have mm. uh, comedy writers, Gruen, uh, Media Circus. So it's it's very few people can actually do you know full time comedy writer for TV. I think it might be you know chaser people, and that's about it, really. What is it about the nostalgic in your life that is so appealing? Oh, Steve, I was watching Hook last night. and uh, <laughs> Great. Which I maintain is the greatest film of all time, and I have seen it more times than I could tell you. Uh, I think the 90s were a really great period, especially for me. <laughs> um, I had a blessed childhood. I had a very stress-free childhood. Um, I had... Um, I don't know. I, I grew up in a nice suburb with, par- you know, parents that didn't seem to hate me. Um, <laughs> I was an only child, so I could have everything to myself. Uh, and I don't know. The nineties was just that. You know, it's that period when, especially you know, when you when you're still at school before you start having to go and work. Um, you know, for me, it was a, it was a sort of golden age. And then once you start working, then everything becomes you know terribly <laughs> depressing. But uh, yeah, so I just have so many fond memories of the things that that that, that happened when I was a kid, and like movie wise, like you know when I was, you know, from the ages of, uh, well, if I think about like the age of like six to eight, it was like uh, Jurassic Park, Mrs. Doubtfire, Hook, Batman mm. Returns, just like really great stuff for for, for someone my age. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I think we were really, really lucky, you know, this my generation to, to to have that. And so I, I still can watch those things with with great fondness. And um, I think there's something about nostalgia which just makes me smile. When people have forgotten things and you awaken that memory in them, there's something magical. I mean, uh, you know, you hear about like Alzheimer's patients who can suddenly be sort of awoken by music mm-hmm. that they grew up with. I think that's really interesting. I'd love to know more about that. I've already told, uh, you know, my loved ones that if anything ever happens to me, if I lose my memory, if you just have Hook playing on repeat, I'll I'll wake (laughs) up. I'll be, you know, you'll be able to have some semblance of a conversation with me. Um, And my my grandmother at the moment in England is is 99 and uh, is, is, you know, losing, you know, she drifts in and out of the real world. And I'd be very interested to see what would happen if we kind of put together, you know, a, a mixtape or something for her of stuff from, from yesteryear and see if it kind of sparks things for her. Um, but yes. anyway, yes. So I think I think nostalgia can bring great joy. Uh, so that's why I'm obsessed with it. it. certainly gives me joy. Are there things in the modern time, in your life now, that bring you the same amount of joy or more? <laughs> Oh, that's a depressing question when I think about it. Um, (laughs) No, is the short answer. Um, What gives me joy now? I think I'm probably at my happiest when I'm doing karaoke. That's that's probably the thing that gives me the most joy. Uh, I mean, I could say, you know, my wife and all that sort of stuff. But but in terms of those are boring answers. But, um, yeah, food probably gives me great joy. I think I live for food. Um, Mm. That's... Yeah, um, but in terms of things that, and right now I guess I'm living for Spectre and I'm living for The Force Awakens, so I'm still mm. living for those things that were kind of are still sort of tied to my childhood in a way. I guess you know because I loved Star Wars and James Bond from from an early age. So I guess even new things that happen are still kind of tied to to you know 
childhood childhood memories. Um, yeah, and no, I can't think of anything else that really gives me. I mean, Eurovision obviously that gives me joy every year. I really do sure. look forward to that. Um, yeah, but I, no, but I'm, I'm, I guess I, 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 I like to think I'm generally a happy person. Though those are the things that come to mind. Why is karaoke such a joy? Uh, it helps get the demons out. Uh, I don't know if you've ever done karaoke, and I don't know if it's true for everyone. It's probably not. Um, but I, I just said I'm quite a happy guy. That's not true. I, I, anger builds up in me quite easily. I've always had a problem with anger, and it used to really – it still bubbles out. Like I, it bubbles over from time to time, and it's, it's just dreadful. It's, it, you know, it can, I can really lose it with people, and I've lost it in professional settings, and I've lost it in private settings. Um, and it usually happens like once a year. <laughs> I find that karaoke is something which helps kind of just get some of that out. Now, it's not like I'm singing mm. angrily, but it's for, for some reason um, getting the sort of, yeah, singing in that context, um, yeah, it seems to calm me. It gets, it gets something out of me. I can't really explain it any other way than that. Have you ever done it? I, I have. Yeah. Uh, and I, Does it do I like to sing. Oh, look, it... I, I like to sing and I, I like to think that when I do sing in other contexts, not in karaoke, that I sing pretty okay. Not, you know, X Factor, the voice levels, but I, better than average. And if I ever sing karaoke, it's intentionally, um, it doesn't matter how bad it is, let's just thrash out this song and have a good time with yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I only really do, I have done it in like in public settings, but I prefer to be just with a group of very, very small friends in a, in a little booth and just muck around and do sing and sing songs that we can't sing, you know, like mm. sing, sing uh, something, sing Ness and Dorma, you know, sing yep. um, uh, Time to Say Goodbye. Like there's things that are way out of your range, but it's fun, fun to do. Um, yeah, I get a real kick out of that. And like you, I, 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 can't, I can't really sing. I, I, I could sing passably, I suppose. And I'm fortunate that I've got, you know, enough friends that will tolerate that. What's your go-to karaoke song? Uh, at the moment, it's um, well. It's always. I guess it's always been um, "Lonely Days" by the Bee Gees. Um, "Lonely Days," "Lonely Nights," um, and I've forgotten the rest of the words now. That's why they're on the screen. <laughs> um, yeah, I like Neil Diamond because he doesn't really sing. Um, mm. So things like "Sweet Caroline" or. Um, yeah, anything really any Neil Diamond song is quite good because he's got that kind of singing which isn't really singing. Um, so that's more because I feel like it's within my range. He's not, it's you know, he doesn't have a range, and so I can kind of slip comfortably into that. I tell myself, Yeah, <laughs> you're not convinced. Um, no, I'm entirely convinced. Karaoke is such a great. I'll tell you which song it, I can never find, which I would sing, would be my song, Steve, if, if I could find a bloody venue that has it. And I've been around. <laughs> Teardrops by Womack and Womack, which I contest, I maintain is the greatest song of all time. But I've never seen it at a karaoke venue. Um, that's a great karaoke song. Mm, it's just a, yeah, uh, that song, that'll lift me any day of the week. If it comes on it in a supermarket. Me, just, baby. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I join you, but I, I think I've lost the words again. Uh, the film clip is is playing vividly in my mind. Mm, they're in the recording studio, and uh, they never really had anything else that quite hit in the same way. Sort of like the Style Council was Shout to the Top. I love Shout to the Top, but the rest mm-hmm. of the stuff by the Style Council just doesn't really do it for me. 
<laughs> what was school like for you, Mark? I was very good at school. Uh, I enjoyed it, I think. Uh, yeah, no, I was, for, for whatever reason, I was very diligent and, um, uh, yeah, I guess a bit of a nerd, but I don't think we used that word. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I enjoyed it a lot. I mean, we had uh, a couple of bullies along the way, as any school would. I mean, it wasn't, I mean, at least it wasn't like, you know, it was all focused on me, it was, we had bullies that were sort of generously sort of spread it around, um, <laughs> and uh, so we sort of you know everyone else was sort of, sort of united in their hatred against that person. Um, yeah, no, I always I had very I had very good teachers, and uh, my mum always packed very nice lunches. So I uh, <laughs> I think I was one of the only kids that had pate in their <laughs> uh, lunchbox, um, and. Uh, <laughs> So I was, I was very, like I say, great childhood. I was very, very lucky, and I realise that that's not true for for everyone. But I was, I was very fortunate. As far as school friends and peer group and those sorts of things, uh, inevitably we're drawn to people with similar interests and certainly similar um, earlier in our high school career, similar kind of performance standards. Um, you know, nerds tend to not hang out with people that aren't nerds, generally speaking, until girls come into the picture. Uh, <laughs> sure. Have you maintained any or many of those relationships post-school? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, um, like, one guy, his name's Duncan McLean. He is um, he has a PhD in, in film studies and um, is now a lecturer. He's just become a lecturer in film studies at AFTERS, the film, television, radio school. Mm. Uh, yeah, we met first year of high school uh, over basketball, and just a couple of months ago, we co-hosted um, the uh, trivia night at the Sydney Film Festival. We we hosted Great. drama nights together when we were in high school. He's probably the, uh, I mean, yes, there I have yeah several friends from primary school and high school, but yeah, he's the one that I, I guess I've maintained the closest sort of, um, well, yeah, something else beyond just friendship, a sort of uh, kind of collaboration, I guess. Um, yeah, no, I've maintained, I think I've maintained a fair few of those friendships. I mean, there were people that, that, that said, like at lunchtime in high school, I used to play cards every day. Um, there was someone would nice. bring a pack of cards and we'd play um, 500 and I can't remember what else we played, but various types of poker. Um, but we never spoke. So I, when high school ended, I completely, I had no contact with, two or three of the other guys that I played cards with every day because we just didn't talk. We just played yeah. cards. So that was sort of lunchtime for me. <laughs> you know, yeah. So I think, you know, I let some of those things go where the connection wasn't more than a pack of cards. Are there relationships that you wish you had maintained or that you miss? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um Yes, I mean it's more probably more to do with um, maybe not so much from high school, but more like I lived in France for a year in two thousand seven, and I think that's the sort of year that made me, if I can call it that. That's mm. where I kind of worked out who I was uh, and and what I wanted to do and things like that. And there were some people that I just some people I think of this. I was thinking about someone the other day who I had a fantastic day with, just one day with this person. And uh, yeah. I just didn't get their full name. And it was just before Facebook sort of took off. And I wouldn't know how to find that person. 
I, I, I think about that. I think about some of those missed opportunities. Yeah. Um, and of course, I think about all the sexual encounters that I didn't have, uh, <laughs> and the ones, the ones that got away. Um, that that plagues me. But um, yeah, no, I have I, I, I carry a lot of regrets, uh, Steve, and people that I kind of didn't um, appreciate enough. I guess there's a couple of people who were really good friends to me, and I didn't. I don't think I hit it back. I don't think I returned the favor, um, and so I, I regret that. And I, I, I hopefully it makes me a better person in the long run. But I, I, I do feel like there are people who I didn't quite um, appreciate what I was experiencing. What about France, that year, 2007? What about that year in France made you? I had a lot of freedom. Uh, I was there to study in inverted commas, but that really was a, a kind of, it was the fourth year of, a, of, of my degree. I was doing a five-year degree, and the fourth year was you go and live in France and you study there for a bit. But it was What so, degree are you doing that takes five years? Well, it was a double degree in, um, it was called public communication, uh, which has two strands, which are advertising and public relations. And uh, it was combined wow. with international studies. So for me, oh, which was French. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, it, look, it, that's at the University of Technology, Sydney. I'm guessing that degree is still there. I think it's a terrific, terrific thing if you if you get a chance to do something like that. And I think I really, really recommend people spending a year abroad. I, th- I absolutely, mm. if, if you can, I, I, it's something that I think will just be so beneficial in ways you can't imagine. But anyway, for me, it was the freedom. So it was like we had to go and do classes, but you you weren't required to do classes that tied in with with your degree. So I did a theatre class in French, you know, with French people. Right. I didn't, you know, my French was pretty basic, but I just, the thing about living overseas, which I really recommend, is it's a chance to sort of start over and work out who you are when you Strip yourselves of strip, strip yourself of all the um, the ties that you have here, uh, and kind of starting from scratch with hi, you know, meeting people. Hi, I'm Mark, and let's see if we can if we can be friends. Let's see if we can start a connection. Stripped of all the you know, if I'm talking about knickknacks or vice versas or you mm. know, agro's cartoon connection, it's got no relevance. I can't draw on all yeah. those things that I might use, you know, because sometimes I use nostalgia as a way to kind of make a connection with people. I don't have that. So how are you going to connect with people? So yeah, in France, I found that because also it was a second language, I found I had to listen a lot more, which was something mm-hmm. that I just didn't do in English in the sense like, you know, I'm someone who talks quite a bit and jumps in and tries to be quick and witty and what have you. But when, when it's a second language and the, the it, you know, you're not, comprehending things as quickly you're kind of having to take a moment or take a little bit longer to really listen and try and work out what's going on um so i I guess i liked myself more in france to a certain extent i think i was more polite and yet attentive in french because i had to be um and because i felt like and i felt like i could make a fool of myself it felt like if i did something if i joined a theater troupe and did a play which is what i i did if i was shit who cares? I go, I go back to Australia at the end of the year and no one will know about it. You know? And so that was, I felt like there was no, I felt like I had a kind of, I, I felt like I had a kind of safety net that I could try yeah. things and, and make mistakes and which I, things that I just wouldn't have done in Sydney. Cause I feel like Sydney could be too clicky and, you know, and the high school groups that you were in were still, you know, I think at 21 when I was over there, you know, you're still very much tied into those things. And everyone that you date, everyone that you meet 
you know, oh hi, you know, you, you meet a, you meet a girl. She dated some guy from your maths class, or you know, or you, there was always a, there was too much. Everyone was connected too much, and that was exciting to just meet people where you had zero connection, and then trying to work out how you could actually make that work. Um, sorry, I'm giving, <laughs> I'm maybe giving a slightly. Um, Slightly too long answer to that question, but I, I really think it's a wonderful thing to do if you can. No, no, that's that's great. I appreciate you sharing that. What one thing would you change about your life today? <sighs> oh, that's good. <laughs> Fuck you, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Because the things that obviously that. Um, could be better, but it's not. But they're not sort of, sure. you know, like in order to like, I'd love to have more money, but that's not actually something that is. That's not an answer. What could I? What's something that I could actually realistically change about my life? Well, if one thing I would change is that I don't drive, and I have a fear of driving, uh, and. I, that I feel like sort of holds me back in certain ways. It means that I'm very antisocial um, and I don't go to a lot of things because if it takes me, if it requires more than one form of transport to go somewhere, I often won't go. Um, so I miss out on a lot of things out of a kind mm. of, uh, well, I guess it's a kind of laziness, but it's also just like, yeah, if I could easily get there in a car and also obviously I don't want to be paying for taxis all the time. Um, but I have a, I don't know, God, it sounds so pathetic, but I have a recurring nightmare about driving a car and, and dying. And I just, uh, it's always blocked me. It, it might be something I need to go have some sort of session about. But I, uh, if I could change something you know, relatively small like that, I think it would make actually quite a big difference. Um, because I, uh, again, it's also like, you know, I, I love food. I'd like to be able to just get in the car and go to, Ashfield, where they have cheap dumplings. So we go to Surrey Hills, where there's, you know, like Burke Street Bakery and have one of their, you know, creme brulee tarts, <laughs> simple little things like that. If I want a creme brulee tart, I need to kind of map out a trip and, you know, <laughs> set aside an hour uh, to get there. And so it, I think that's probably something that I could change if I had, if I could get over that sort of mental hurdle. Uh, I guess in that context, you don't have your license, Yes. No, no, I don't have a license. Was it these feelings that meant you didn't get a license, or it was just something that passed you by because you were busy doing other things? Going no, it was, to it, was this, it was this fear. It was this fear that prevented me from ever going. And um, it sounds pathetic. I, I feel ridiculous, and I totally accept it. It's ridiculous. It sounds ridiculous. Oh no, please side. don't. That's but, no. Um, Sorry, I was just going to say, not for a second. Other things that you feel ridiculous. So, I mean, I mean, one ridiculous thing, though, is that I could, I should probably at least do the um, the sort of basic level test, like the written exam, so I could just get an updated ID. Because I've all I've got is an 18 plus card, which a lot of places, you know, it's, it's, it's issued by the RTA and uh, mm. the, uh, which, sorry, I don't know what it's like in different states. RTA, I think, is, it, is New South Wales. I don't think it's national. I'm not sure. Transport department thing. Um, there you go. Thank you. Um, uh, yeah, so they, I got an 18 plus identity card, you know, 
13, sorry, not 13 years ago, 11 years ago. Um, and, uh, but I find that there are places that still don't, ac- they don't accept that. They're like, oh, it's expired. What? Well, I didn't get younger. I didn't get younger than 18 since it's, I know. you know, expired in inverted commas. And yes, the photo of me, you know, I've got a different haircut and still some, you know, uh, a couple of pimples as I'm leaving puberty, but other, other than that, it's still me. So yeah, I, I should probably at least go and learn the basics and get that, just get that card. So I'm not having to walk around with my passport um, to get into places. And I, you know, and people still will, you know, occasionally will, you know, check for ID and make this big thing about, look, I know you look over 18, but if you don't have ID and we get, you know, all that sort of crap. Another reason why I don't go out. I <laughs> yeah so a lot lot of home time what challenges you mark um working by myself is probably the hardest thing at the moment um i find that really hard i think i've realized that i am a collaborator and i like being around people Mm. to work with and to make me rise to an occasion and and to kind of challenge me and to give feedback and and uh yeah and i'm I, so that's probably the hardest thing at the moment being freelance i rarely get a chance to work with people and as such i i can find it quite um depressing um so yeah i find that a real a real challenge how do you battle those feelings uh of depression i don't i don't know how i don't know i actually don't know what the answer is um uh eating to a certain extent but i don't um yeah i i think yeah like you know um how do i do yeah i don't really i don't really know the answer music is partly it i guess i kind of yeah we'll have teardrops on repeat or (laughs) um uh yeah nostalgia actually is, is is a way for me to sort of deal with it um which then creates a kind of different depression where I long for, for yesteryear. But like, yeah, I was, I was going mad the other day. I couldn't remember the name of a song, um, which was in my head. I just had, you know, the tune in my head and uh, I was going bonkers. And then I, you know, I just I spent like an hour with different search terms describing the song. And then uh, eventually I found the song and it was just heaven. And the song is um, it's called Sweet Lullaby by Deep Forest. And it's, um, mm. yeah, <laughs> for, for those interested, yeah. So I don't, I actually don't know what the answer, the, actually the answer is I probably, I call people. I, I have long phone conversations with people and that kind of gets me out of things. Talking to people gets me out of that rut for a bit. Um, and leaving the house is good. Like I just went overseas for a month and that was really good for me. But now I've got that post-holiday blues where I'm longing for that holiday again. So it's, I'm kind of happy to work out how to, how to deal with that. So I don't have I don't really have an answer, but I have a series of band aid solutions. <laughs> <laughs> what do you find attractive? Um, oh goodness me! Um, I think I'm attracted to people who know who they are and are okay with that. Like who are, who have who kind of don't need to feel the need to. Um, no, that's not true. Sorry, I lie. Sorry, scrap that answer. That's generally true, but not always true. Um, mm. What do I find attractive? 
Okay, I think I think I'm really attracted to people that don't um, judge your tastes or interests. Mm-hmm. This is something that's bothered me. You know, like karaoke or something. Karaoke, Eurovision, musicals are three things for me that I really love. And um, there's a weird stigma attached to, to, to some of those things, which, and I think that those three things represent pure joy, pure, mm. uh, uncynical joy. And I think I, anyone that can talk to me about those things without any cynicism, I find that very, very attractive. As soon as people sort of sneer at those things, and I can be quite a sneery person myself, so it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm a total hypocrite. But um, the yeah, but if someone sneers at those sorts of things, I, I can immediately switch off. And and one there's one phrase that really turns me off a person, which is if karaoke does come up, and I often crowbar it into a conversation. Um, <laughs> if they say to me, "Oh yeah, I can only do that if I'm drunk," a little part of me dies, and I. <laughs> <laughs> and I just kind of go, it's it's not something that you should need to be inebriated to do. It's something that, well, no, I mean, if that's how it works for you, fine. But I just think it's, I think it's such a joyous thing to kind of, um, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't feel that needs for alcohol to be involved in order to be able to, to just let go. And I think karaoke is, you know, to be being able to let go requires a certain trust. You know, that's mm. why you have to do it, I think, with a group of people, of like-minded people. Need, that karaoke room needs to be a safe space. And if you've got people yes. who can only do it when they're drinking, it's not a safe space. There's an element of judgment. Um, mm. So that's it's a really specific thing, but that's something I find unattractive. So anyone that can kind of be open-minded about um, my interests uh, and not sneer at them, then I... Uh, that's someone I want to keep around. <laughs> What's your favorite musical of the modern era and of all time? Uh, it's a very good question. Um, I guess, uh, well, it's a, it's a lazy answer, but I'll go, I'll say Wicked for you know, modern. I mean, it, it's mm-hmm. 12 years old now, but um, I... I, I, it had such a powerful effect on me. Actually, I'll tell the, I'll tell the first. I'll tell the other answer first. All time, I would probably say Phantom of the Opera because I, that was the first one I saw, and it was I think okay. I was eight. I saw Rob yeah. Guest play the Phantom, uh, and it was it was magic. It was absolute magic, and I remember the chandelier falling. And I later mm. learned that Australia had one of the fastest falling chandeliers in the world. We had a different. OHNS system in Australia than some <laughs> other countries. So we're very lucky in that respect. Um, yes, yeah, so that was a powerful experience and it, and it planted that seed for me. And that seed didn't really grow until I happened to be watching the Tony Awards in 2003, I think it was, when, um, and it just came on, Joel Grey came out. Joel Grey had played the MC in Cabaret and he plays the wizard. Mm-hmm played the wizard in the original Broadway production of Wicked. He came out and he introduced Edina Menzel and Kristen Chenoweth, two names that I'd never heard before, mm. um, saying here they are to perform a song from Wicked. And they performed Defying Gravity. I don't know if you know Wicked, Steve. Mm, no, I'm familiar with it. Uh, so this incredible song where the witch sort of accepts who she is and, and takes off and, and flies. And that, and, and that moment, even through the television, uh, 
brought back that memory of you know, seeing her take off brought back that kind of chandelier memory. And I thought, God, that's a great song. And it just started a whole fascination with, with musicals for me, which kind of culminated a month ago when I finally went to New York for the first time and went and saw shows on Broadway. Right. Um, and uh, which that was just a, a dream come true. And so now, you know, going back to the sort of humans of Twitter thing, I've now started a second Twitter account called Mark's Musicals, where I'll probably just put up a video or something a day of different songs and things from musicals because I, I love it so much. And I think, yeah, and it gives, gives me such joy and hopefully to some other people as well. What are you going to achieve in the next 12 months? I, I'm optimistic for the next 12 months. I've come back from this trip feeling a lot more motivated. I was really quite down in the dumps before I went away. Um, some, some some things that I can just say that are looking like they will happen. Uh, I will be, for two weeks in November, I will be um, presenting a sort of political media comedy segment on the feed. Um, Excellent. So that's that was that was really wonderful to get that that call. Um, assuming nothing happens to to, to disrupt that um, sure. between now and then, but that's my understanding. Congratulations, nonetheless. Oh, thanks very much. Yeah, no, really, I've, I, I, I only work in the 7.30 p.m. time slot. That's my and – and I don't do main <laughs> channels. I only do secondary channels. That's but my, you kill it in that 7.30 p.m. secondary if, channel time if slot. If you love – yeah, if you love secondary channels at 7.30 p.m., I'm your guy. Um, so I can't wait for your very early talk show at 7.30 and 11. <laughs> yeah, that's it, yeah. Um, so uh, that is something – there's a podcast that I've been working on for a while now, and it looks like I'll finally get around to making it, uh, which is in a similar vein um, uh, to that, I guess. I mean, still, uh, politics and media are sort of areas that I, I really love, so those it, it'll mm. kind of deal with that. Um, and there's a stage show that I really want to get up, um, which I've been – uh, I've been collaborating on a couple of these things with Evan Williams, who um, I wrote yes. the headlines with on um, The Roast. And um, he's a really terrific collaborator, very, very funny, very sharp writer. And so there's a couple of ideas that we're toying with. So yeah, one's a podcast and one's um, a stage show which in which I would play a character that I have played before um, and I would finally get a chance to, I'm being cryptic. I shouldn't, I, I, it mm. may never happen, but, um, it's something that I think there might be an audience for, but I don't want to get ahead of myself cause I could die in the ass, but I'd be interested to do something live. It would be great to, to see you perform live. And it just, I, I guess I always have enjoyed Mark, your performance in its various formats, uh, whenever it's appeared, uh, Thank and, you, it's it's marvellous to, to chat with you today. Thank you so much for sharing what you you have. That's all right. I um, think I got a little bit deeper than I was expecting. I uh, and sorry, I didn't come. I didn't say anything witty or I didn't have any quips. So I was just there. Are no thinking, expectations thinking on your mark. <laughs> oh no! It, it, what you have shared is valuable, as are you, and and you are very important to well, a number of people, including me. And I and I'm very appreciative of everything that you have shared. Tell me. Apart from the fact that we know you're on Twitter, are there any other social accounts that you want to own up to? Uh, there is. I, I have four Twitter accounts, two of them which are which people know are me and two which they don't. 
Um, but but they're not massive things. They're just little um, curiosities. So no, I won't own up to them. But one one is one is really easy to find. Um, if you if you just follow people from the roast, it'll probably come up as a recommended account because <laughs> they most of them follow this account. It's an account in which I'm slightly more unhinged, it, and I have more adult material than I. Do they feel. know it's you? They know it's me. They know it's me. Um, so, yeah. Oh, sorry, that's lame. I, it's lame to be cryptic, but I just I, th- I think it's one of those things where I I kind of like not openly expressing that it is me, even though it's it, it'd be quite obvious if you actually found it. Um, it adds challenge to the hunt. Yeah, and then I've sort of just I've started dabbling with a kind of media-based account, um, sort of sort of stating, stating some of my true opinions on things that happen in the media. Like I won't, again, I won't name it, but like, like something which really bothered me was when the Lint Cafe reopened after mm-hmm. the, you know, what happened there. And there was this massive queue Ugh. and I just, and they interviewed people in the line and I felt like the people in the line were just um, there to be seen. Mm-hmm. Um and I was really cynical about it. And so some of those cynical thoughts go into these other accounts. And I've now I've just said that cynical thought on to, on your podcast. So that was stupid. But, um, uh, but sorry, that's a terrible answer. Anyway, so there's another account where I have sort of pithy observations about the media from time to time. But again, it's a very, very small thing. And I haven't really put the time into it. If you must follow me, go to Humphrey's Mark. Go to Mark's Musicals if you like musicals. Um, that's where you'll get the best of me. (laughs) (laughs) This has been the humans of Twitter. And I can confirm that at Humphreys Mark is indeed human. Thank you so much. That's really all I wanted to get out there today. And um, (laughs) it's good to just get some of those, just to, just to squat, just to quash some of those rumors that have been going around. Dispel Um, the myths that Mark Humphreys is a synth. That's, (laughs) oh yes, yes. Uh, no, I've got full, I've got full function of bodily organs. I can I can give. Uh, I'm going to stop there. That's thank you, Steve. Um, <laughs> it's been wonderful to join.